in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I know that anytime we open the doors, people come from all different walks of life. Uh, Lord, some come in today and that are just totally excited, uh, whether it's a birthday celebration or just happy about life. And, and some come in carrying some of the, the deepest, darkest secrets, the biggest burdens that, that a human being can carry. And Lord, again, you're the same God to each and every one of us. But yet, Lord, you meet us exactly where we need you to be. And we thank you for that this morning, that you're the God in the mountaintop, you're the God in the valley low, you're every step in between. And I just pray this morning, as we do for one another, that God, you would just meet us at that place that we have need today. And that Lord, you would not just meet us there, not just comfort us and strengthen us, but Lord, that you'd transform us, that you'd change us from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. That, that's our hope. It's our prayer today. We're here to magnify you. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory today as we pray in Jesus' name. And we all agreed saying amen. 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 So now, you know what a couch potato is, right? Anybody by definition, what's a couch potato? Go ahead, throw it out there. A couch potato is somebody who, what's that? Has a clicker? Oh, you got a remote. Okay, I was just trying to check that. Okay. No, by definition, this this is the, you know, this is true because I Googled it. Okay. All right. It, couch potato, a person who spends little or no time exercising and a great deal of time watching television. Does that describe anybody during COVID? No, I, I don't, I don't, you don't have to raise your hand to that, uh, you know, at all. This is, confession's good for the soul, but it's just one of these things that maybe we won't press that too much. I don't want you to leave before we get too far into this. But um, one of the things that's interesting, you know, they're pew potatoes too. And that's kind of not just couch potatoes, but pew potatoes. What would you say a pew potato is in your own definition? What would you say a pew potato? What would that be? Someone who, uh, we don't have pews. Okay, I know somebody's looking around. The chair potato. A what? A Sunday Christian. See, I like when you guys say, because nobody can get mad at me then. See, and I say, hey, I just heard it. Somebody said it in the congregation. Somebody who's just a Sunday Christian. Okay, I, I get that. Something else. So this is a little participation today. Say that again. Someone who sits and listens, but doesn't do anything with what they hear. What else was there? All eyes. Oh, I like that one. So I think we, we get the gist of it. It's like maybe a lot of intake, but no output. Is that, would that be safe? Yeah, kind of summarizing, you know, what's being shared. And, and that's really true. And, and really what the Apostle Paul is speaking to here. Um, how many would agree by a show of hands, Christianity is a participant sport, so to speak? It's, it's about participating. Yeah, there's something, and that's what the Apostle Paul is bringing out here. You know, it takes work to get into physical shape. And I know that today, as I've started back to the gym three times this year. I just want you to know, uh, my wife and I, yeah, it's, it's been, and, and I remember, you know, my dad, I, in the latter part of his life, I mean, my dad became not a couch potato. He was the blue chair potato. You know, he had a blue recliner. And man, he just would not get out of that. It got to the point where it got to be so funny. He would call my mom. I've shared this with you before. He'd call my mom. My mom was in the house, by the way, but she'd be in the back room. And my dad would call her on the phone, ask her if she could bring him lunch. <laughs> and my mom would be like, you got to be kidding me. She goes, no, you need to get up and walk from there. And he goes, I'm watching the golf tournament. Now, it wasn't a live tournament. He was watching probably the Masters from 1969. He just liked it so much. It's kind of like me watching the Born Supremacy or something, you know, it's like, but uh, I've only seen that, I don't know, my wife would have to tell you probably 50 times, I don't know. But uh, he just, he just wouldn't get up. And, and I would say, Dad, I go, you gotta, you gotta do something. You gotta get up. You gotta do some exercise. And he'd say, Michael, I just hurt. He goes, it hurts. And, uh, and I get that. And I said, well, Dad, I go, but it's gonna hurt. You're gonna hurt no matter what. 
you, you learn that as you get older. I mean, you just hurt. I go, so you're going to have to kind of choose your pain. It's going to be a pain that is going to help you and it's going to shape you and, and it's going to, you know, actually give you longevity in life. Or, you know, it's going to be a pain that is going to ultimately lead to your demise. And, and there's so much of that, that that can be said with regard to the parallels between our our spiritual shape and our physical shape. I mean, the, the you know, the struggles, the temptations, you know. Um, I mean, how many have ever gone to the gym and you got into a routine and then your favorite machine at the gym broke and it just messed up your whole routine? Is there anybody that you, you ever gone through that? Yeah, mine too. I was at the gym. I mean, this is why I've been three times. I mean... I'd go and then the machine would break. And then I'd go and the machine would break. I'd go and the machine. I finally told the guy, I said, hey, listen, I've been trying to get Oreos out of this machine for like the last three weeks. And I cannot. No, that's not, that's not how, how it, but it, but it's true. You get into, you get into a routine and, and once that routine is broken, and that's why the, the basis of our faith of, of our Christian faith is what it's, it's, we're talking about being a disciple is what it's discipline. It's developing disciplines in our life. And so Paul addresses that here in the book of, of Philippians. And I, I think about, you know, in the sense of, because whether it's you look at churches today or whether you look at gyms, and I was looking at the information surrounding uh, working out, and this is pretty fascinating when you think about these numbers here. In the United States, there's roughly, after COVID, 41,370 gyms or health clubs and get this, there's 340,000 personal trainers. It's becoming this, this mega fad you know, in our country is to be a personal trainer. And it says something about that because there's something that's, that people have, are gravitating to in the sports industry, understanding just like in, in our Christian faith, that if you're going to be the best that you can be, you're going to need help. You're going to need a trainer. You're going to need no more talk about this a little bit more, even a, a spotter in, in the sense of you think about using a, a gym term here, 340,000 personal trainers. So how many people do you think are going to gyms in, in, in the United States today? And you think about this, there's 64.2 million people that work out in gyms. And then you think about the amount of money that a health club takes in. It's pretty lucrative. You think about it. in the United States, gym memberships, the annual revenue is about $35 billion. That's, that's big, big money. Worldwide, it's 96, almost $100 billion worldwide. But here's the thing that's interesting to me when I think about this, and I think about what Paul is writing here in Philippians chapter two. Did you know that half the people that have gym memberships quit after six months, they'll go six months and then they quit. And it's that it's fascinating to me because what is the most difficult part of when you start to work out? Like I said, I've, I've started back three times this year. What's, what's the, what's the hardest part? Starting back, right? It's that first time. I mean, I'm, I'm in so much pain right now. It's like, I'm in pain from doing house chores, but it's, it's very similar, but, but uh, <laughs> it's just how it is. My, my wife you know, says, you look like your dad. <laughs> I, said, I feel like my dad, <laughs> but he's in heaven. So I don't know if that's, if I'm feeling good or not, but uh, it's, it's amazing. You know, going to the gym, you know, you'll, if you haven't been working out, I mean, the next day you, your muscles have, it's called lactic acid and lactic acid. When you work out a muscle, lactic acid goes, that's what causes it to be stiff. You know, I mean, as someone, they told me, you know, this week they said, you know, um, Mike, I just want you to know that yoga is by far and away the best exercise for you. And I said, well, that's stretching things a bit, but you know, we, I'll, let, I'll let that slide. So, um, what? No, I really, it was, I, that's what I said. I don't know what they, but anyway, it's not the point. But you go and, and, and you think about your faith as a believer. I mean, you know, God is going to stretch you. He's going to grow you. And it's a painful process. And it looks a lot sometimes like when you're, you know, working out in a gym. And, and so whether you, you know, I see people that do this, they'll go, Pastor Mike, I'm going to start my, my devotional life January the 1st. I'm going to get on board and I'm going to get my 
devotional out and I'm going to, you go for what, a few days and you start one. And then the next thing, what happens is, you know, boom, you're done. And you go, what happens? Because it takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes energy to accomplish that. And so I can look at the parallels between working out physically and working out spiritually. And I can see, you know, exactly what, you know, what Paul is, is telling, you know, us to do here. I look at, you know, again, some of the authors that I like, like to read and enjoy. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He said, it's one of the most perfect summaries of the Christian life to be found anywhere. And that's fascinating to me. I mean, what Paul is able to summarize in a couple verses, Charles Spurgeon on Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he writes this, and, and I want you to follow along because, again, he can be kind of wordy in this, but I think it, it's so powerful and so profound. Uh, follow along. His, his thoughts on, on Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He said, in a certain sense, the salvation of every person who believes in Christ is complete. He says, incomplete without any working out on his part, seeing that it is finished and we are complete in Jesus. He said, observe that there are, are two parts of our salvation. The one that is complete and yet the other that's incomplete though guaranteed to be brought to perfection. The first part of our salvation consists of a work for us. And I want to spend some time on this because I don't want you to confuse God working for us and the responsibility that we have. And what I'm really focusing on today, because that's what the Apostle Paul is focusing in on, is our working out what God is working in, but not to confuse the two because so many people do. And so he says, it's a work for us. The second is a, of a work in us. He says, the work for us is perfect. None can add thereunto. Jesus Christ, our Lord, has offered a complete atonement for all the offenses of his people. He took his people into union with himself. And by that union, they became entitled to all the merit of his righteousness. They became partakers of his everlasting life, the inheritors of his glory. Saints are therefore saved completely so far as the uh, substitutionary work is concerned. Such was the meaning of those majestic death words of our Lord. It is finished. He had finished transgression. He made an end of sin. He brought into everlasting righteousness, thus perfected forever them that are set apart. Now, with the work of Christ, we cannot intermeddle. We are never told to work that out, but to receive it by faith. The blessings, they come to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Justification is not at all by human effort, but by the free gift of God. And I think that, that says it so well, there's just no way to improve upon that. But the second part of salvation consists, you can see here, as, as the work in us. It's the operation of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, working in our lives, regenerating us, and creating within us a, a new nature. And yet there's still a battle, I think, as we'd all agree. If you ever, like I said, look at it from a physical standpoint and you go and, and you want to work out, you go, yes, uh, I know that there's a battle. There's a desire to do it. You go, but all those things that are pressing against us, working against us. Spurgeon goes on. He says, God, having first worked in it, it says he becomes the business of the Christian life to work out the secret inner principle till it permeates the entire system till it overcomes the old nature, till it in fact utterly destroys inbred corruption and reigns supreme in, the, in man's every part, as it shall do when the Lord takes us to dwell with him forever. He says, understand then, it is not at all the uh, mediatorial work of Christ. It is not at all with regard to the pardon of our sins or the justification of our persons that Paul speaks here in Philippians chapter 2, but only with regard to the inner spiritual life. He says of that, work it out with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So here, what, like I said, what Paul is addressing is believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. You know, some you know, people read this and they'll say, well, you know, here, God is working in you. No, he's not working in you if you're not a follower of Christ, if you have not surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, if he is not the Savior and Lord 
of your life. When Paul begins this letter, he's writing to the saints that are in Philippi. That This is a special group. Otherwise, you know, you are still dead in your trespasses and sin, and our hope today would be that you would repent and that you would turn to God and be saved from your sin. But I think of this back to exercise as an analogy. Um, one of the things that I enjoyed most in my middle ages riding my bicycle before, uh, you know, 2013 and being diagnosed with heart disease and, and uh, having some damage done to my heart and then going on medications that basically was like putting a governor uh, on your ability to, to uh, raise your, your heart rate. One of the things about cycling was training in zones and, you know, you can get into, a, you know, you think about a metabolic threshold, you can talk about, you know, your VTO max, you can talk about, you know, whether you're, you're training for fat loss or you're training for, you know, uh, increased, you know, cardiovascular uh, health. I mean, there's, there's all different ways to train and it all involves uh, your heart rate and what you do and where you keep your heart rate at. And so when, when I think about this, you know, cardiovascular loss, I remember studying it a lot because it was always important. And if you went and you think about this, because there's, there's something I'll tie this to that, again, goes back to something spiritual. If you go two days, just two days, without any exercise, you lose X amount of percentage. The argument's out there, how much percentage of your cardiovascular health that you lose. So basically, you know, when I went to my doctor and I was just, you know, diagnosed with heart disease, he said, well, Mike, you know what, what you need to do is just really take your exercise level down, do like 30 minutes a day. Um, if you can do it five days a week, he said that that would be great. He said, but definitely do it every other day. And as soon as he said every other day, it, it, it rang true with something that I knew to be true, uh, understanding that again, you can go a couple days, you can go a couple days without exercising and it won't have that big of a negative effect upon your physical being. But after 48 hours, it definitely starts to diminish and, and pretty much every study and they, they argue about degrees and everything else, but, but something happens after about 48 hours of inactivity. And, and so there's something about, you know, us continuing on, um, you know, my doctor recommended, you know, working out about three or four times a week for, you know, optimum health benefits. I, I have a pastor friend that, that said this with, it was a marriage conference that he was doing and he was talking about couples praying together. And he was trying to do it in a way to not discourage couples from, you know, our failure to follow through or keep commitments and you just get busy in life and head in different directions. And he said this, he said, read your Bible every day and pray. He says, and if you miss one day, don't miss two. And I, and I love that. He said, if you, if you miss one day, don't miss two. And, and, and most, you know, again, uh, doctors that deal with health and well-being will say, hey, you know what, if you've missed a day, you know, uh, exercise and if some, they're not even telling you what to do is that just do something. Something is better than nothing. And I love that. He says, if you miss one, don't miss two. See, we're to stay busy, you might say, until quitting time was one of the, uh, one of my favorite messages by Chuck Swindoll. There's no retirement plan, you could say, in the kingdom of heaven. Would you agree that an idle mind becomes the devil's playground. Yeah, I think a lot of people learned that over COVID and you see the impact and you know, it's had upon people and it, it's so sad. I mean, you think about just the, the power grabs that existed in our country during COVID. I mean, I think when we look at, you know, and I put my notes in the world's become a different place, much different, you know, than it was, you know, before COVID hit and you go, what happened? Well, while much of the world was becoming a couch potato, you might say to a certain degree, then what, what occurred is that people began to, you know, they, they, they got focused on what was on television. And there was a group of people who were then taking a complete advantage of that and, and pushing an agenda forward. And we're seeing the, you know, the impacts of those things today. And again, what happens is you go, well, they took advantage of the fact that people were idle that people in one sense couldn't do anything. There were certain mandates and things that were, were taking place. And then you look at it and you go, but then on the other, you go, you can lull people to sleep in that regard. If all of a sudden you go, hey, there's no focus in my life. There's no discipline. There's no purpose. And that was the beauty for us as a church 
was the realization that it doesn't make any difference whether there's a pandemic or not a pandemic. God is to be worshipped, amen? There was nothing in Scripture where it said, if something happens, you it's okay to stop worshipping God. No, it's all the more to worship God, all the more to come together. Scripture warns us of that. It says, not forsaking the gathering of the saints, says, which is common to some, but when you see the day of what? The day approaching, the day of judgment. Approaching all the more, man, get together and do what? You know, help each other, be there for each other. You know, all the things that Paul is exhorting the church here in Philippians chapter 2. So again, I just want to give you four real simple things that you can think through here as we prepare to receive communion today. How do we work out our salvation? It's a great question. You know, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more, he says, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, it's interesting that word, again, therefore. He's, Paul is what? He's saying everything that I, you just learned previously, everything that I just told you previously, because of all that, therefore. And you go, so what was it that he told us previously? The, the first thing I would tell you, you know, if, you really, if you're really serious in your life about working out your salvation, your own salvation, not your friend's salvation, not your husband's, not your wife, not your children, but your own salvation, is follow the example of Jesus. Obey. Obey. Be obedient to the things of God. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearances of man, he humbled himself and became what? Obedient. Obedient to the point of death. It hurts. <laughs> I remember going to the gym and it had on, on the wall, at 24-hour fitness, it said, no pain, what? No gain. And there really is a truth in that, but you can take that too far. I mean, now, now my doctor tells me at my age, he goes, Mike, if it hurts, what? Stop. But when you're younger, there's, no, there's, there's a time to, to press through that. There's, you need wisdom. You need balance. And that's really much of the key here is that if you think about doctrinally, there are so many, you know, positions, you know, that, that are taken. You can look at any teaching when I think of doctrine. It's teaching in the Bible. And you can, have, you can have the person who's to the far right or the person who's to the far left, right? One of the things I've loved about Calvary Chapel, it's why we're at Calvary Chapel, is, is Pastor Chuck refused to take a position that was so far, you know, in one direction or the other when the scriptures themselves don't do that. Yes, you can take a scripture and you can say, well, we could talk about the election of God and the free will of men, right? And those, those are two people would say can be very counter positions, but they're not biblically when you hold them in balance. Yes, God knows everything. You know, he knows everyone who's saved. He knows everyone who will ever be saved, but I don't. I, I love the simplicity. D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists here in the United States of America, he, he was challenged, you know, by by someone who believed only in the election of God. And he, so he challenged Moody and he said, Moody, he says, do you believe in the election of the saints? And he said, most certainly. And he says, then why don't you preach only to the elect? And he said, because I don't know who they are. He says, so I preach whoever will, will. And he goes, and when they respond, I realize they're the elect. And the guy stood there for a second and Moody said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. He goes, you just follow me along. And he goes, when I preach, you go along and you lift up everybody's shirt and you look for the E that God stamped on them so that I know they're elect and I'll just preach to them, you know? And, it, and it's so, you know, it, again, we can reach such extremes, but balance is the key. Understanding, you know, again, and, and I, I love it, you know, and here's what we find, you know, I remember that bracelet as you do, you know, that said, what would Jesus do? And that's really not, not the question for us today. It's not what would Jesus do. Jesus did what Jesus was doing. Really, the question is, you know, it's not what would Jesus do. Wasn't that the bracelet, right? WWJD. What would Jesus do? No, it's what. <laughs> think about this. What did Jesus do? That's what we need to do. Go back and read. What did Jesus do? And then follow that model. Follow that example. You know, it's amazing. You. I, I don't. I can't recall exactly how many times. I think it's like it, it again. It's just like joy or rejoice. I think it's like 19 times 
in, in, the, in the four gospel accounts that Jesus uses the term or phrase, follow me. Paul would say, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. And, and what Paul is telling us here in chapter 2, in verses 12 and 13, he's reminding the church, he said, therefore, you have a model, you have an example. And Paul, he's not here claiming to be the model. You know why Paul is not claiming to be the model? You think about this? He's not claiming to be the model because he's in prison. He's in prison. He goes, when I was with you, yes, I could lead you and I could guide you, but I'm not with you. And he goes, but it doesn't matter because guess what? God is with you. God is in you. And, and that's, that's such a great reminder for us today. Paul uses that word obeyed there. It's the same word that he used in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the first commandment with a promise. See, Paul understood the church was responsive to him. He was like their father. He said, you know, you've had many teachers, but not many fathers, right? And he's going, you obeyed me. You obeyed me. You listened to the things. And that, you know, tell you, that, that makes a pastor's job really easy when people just listen and they go, okay. I mean, again, you want to you count the cost. You want to weigh out the scriptures. But, you know, there, there's a call in scripture. Again, we just answered it as we started the service today. You know, the difference between a couch potato and a pew potato. I mean, we tell you there, there's needs all the time. Um, I was talking with Mike uh, Atkinson yesterday. You know, uh, Susan Craig, bless her heart. You know what? And, and I want to do this for her. We need to give her a really big round of applause. She did a fantastic job. Unfortunately, she worked herself into the ground. I was, I'm just blessed that I even saw her today. I was, and I was hurting just working around my house doing stuff. I mean, and she for days and weeks and months. So we're going to be putting together next year as we get into this. We're starting, we'll start meeting this next week. This ministry, you know, of taking things in, in from a yard sale and putting them out there to the public. It, it's more than just providing, you know, uh, revenue for Together We Can. That was the, the ministry that we chose this, this year. And I, I don't know how much we even made. What was it? Close to $5,000 of just stuff. You know I mean? Yeah. One man's, one man's junk is another man's treasure. I mean, they got to the end. They were just, but they were just blessing people as well. At the, end, at the end of the day, it was just giving stuff to families that were in need. We had other ministries that were coming and picking up things. People were coming. I mean, it's that, there's so much to that. But again, it's like the Pareto principle. You know, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And usually the people doing it are retired or they should be retired. You know, and, and again, and, but there is no retirement plan. And I love that. You, you see, you know, people that are just committed. We, we definitely had great support from our youth and, and helping move stuff. They stayed, you know, overnight uh, and, uh, you know, kept a couple of people entertained, um, you know, but it, it's, it's a team effort. You know, it's a church effort and, and, and people get behind it when they realize it's, it's one thing if we said, Hey, we're going to have a, a yard sale because, you know, we need to paint the doors of the church. So come on out and let's paint the doors. But when you go, hey, we're raising money for this group of people. It, we're, you're doing it to bless someone else. And, and the Together We Can ministry, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but, you know, Kimberly probably could from looking at the numbers. I would say that it's far less than 10% of the people in our church that are benefited by Together We Can. Would you say? Yeah, 90%. Over 90% of the people that we serve don't go to this church, is my point. We're, we're not going, hey, we'll serve you if you come to Calvary Chapel, Bakersfield. It's like, no, there's a need that's out there. You're serving. Jesus said, that, you know, he told you know, the disciples, they're, they're like, Lord, when did, we, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you naked? All these things. And he said, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You do it because that's what Jesus did. It's not, what would Jesus do? I mean, people, you mean you rack your brain. I mean, it's, it's 2021. What would Jesus do in 2021? I don't know. But I know what he did when he was here, and that's the model. And that's what Paul's saying. He's going, he is the one that you're imitating. He is the one. And, and again, and I love it as you, as you look at this. And yet, the second thing, you know, besides obedience, the second is be energetic. Be energetic. What do I mean? Well, it fits the word here. It was Isaac Newton who proposed in his first law of motion, right? A body, what? A body in motion tends to what? And a body at rest 
tends to stay a pew potato, right? Yeah, tends to stay at rest. They're, now, and you understand this by definition. Bodies will continue in their current state, whether at rest or in motion, unless acted upon by what? A greater outside force. Guess what? We have been acted upon by a greater, not just an outside force, but what? He says an inward force. And that's what he's telling us in verse 13, that he who has begun this good work, where? In you. This is something from the inside out. God is doing, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to stymie it, to stop it from getting out. It's God is trying to get out through our lives. And yet there's things that work against that. And you go, the biggest one is what? It's fear. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. The church is under attack. You're under attack. I'm under attack to keep us in a place of fear. Fear of what? Of the world and, and all the repercussions of it. But the love of God, as Paul would say, the love of Christ is what constrains me. It's the love of God that's going to push us through to the other side. And you look at this. I love this word. The word work out. It means to be energetic in spirit. It comes from the Greek word, uh, energio. It says, and again, it's where we get our English word energy. And so what is Paul saying to work out? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, I love what Charles Spurgeon writes. He says, you have faith, work it out. Act like a believer. Trust God in your daily life. You possess the incorruptible seed. Bring it out. Let your whole conduct be incorruptibly pure and heavenly. You profess that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and he does. If you are a Christian, then let your whole conduct be saturated with that sacred influence. Let it be yours to lead the heavenly life of one in whom dwells the Lord from heaven. Be you Christ-like inasmuch as the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Just a great, great reminder. Again, what are we doing? We're working out what? What God is working in. By what? By the help, by the assistance of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And what, again, what works against that? Fear. Fear of what other people think. That's why, you know, I use that expression often, you know, from this pulpit. We were all born originals, but most of us die copies of someone else. Well, if you're going to copy somebody, copy Christ. That, that's the call of God. If, don't worry about you know, what the world... And it's so sad because you, you see it today. Again, what crowd are you in? What group are you associated with? You know, to be associated with Christ, that, that is key in our lives. Again, so what do we do? We work out our salvation by living a life of faith that's evidenced you know, by the determination in our lives to live each day based on what? The perfect, the complete redemption of Jesus Christ. It's not we don't save ourselves. We're saved by God. But we, but we live each day appreciating that. Well, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've given me life. The words work out. Remember, they, they actually mean to maintain. And look, think of this to maintain constant energy and effort to finish a task. Let me read that to you again. By definition, the word work out, to maintain constant energy and effort to finish a task. Spiritual growth, just like working out at a gym, it's intentional, it's not accidental. Spiritual maturity, it's the human cooperation with the divine operation. Human cooperation with the divine operation. I like what the NLT translates verse 12 as, to put into action God's saving work in our lives. In the, in the ancient times, that word work out, it, it was a Greek word. I can't even pronounce this word. I'll spell it for you. Then we're going to try it together. Just follow along and we're going to say it. K A T. E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. Man, that's a Scrabble word. <laughs> Catergazomea. I, I don't have any idea. But it's used to describe working in the mind or working in a field. Now, that's what makes that interesting is if you own the field, 
and you own the mine, if you own the mine, does the gold or the silver, whatever it is, does it just come out of the mine to you? Does it? No. If you have a field, does the crop just naturally appear? You go, no, you have to work it. It belongs to you. You possess it. You possess everything that's within it. That's, that's the imagery that Paul wants us to have and wants us to see there. But we have a responsibility to cooperate. There's a human cooperation with the divine operation, working with God. And again, he's not talking about trying to get saved. It's just like James talking about, you know, again, why people struggle with the book of James. James says, show me your faith, you know, you know, without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. There's something that is evidenced in our life when we come to Christ. The third thing, you know, that we see, looking at this text, again, working out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. It's just like going to the gym. I mean, I'll go to the gym, and I, I have a, I not only have heart disease, I have an aneurysm on some artery. I don't even know what it is anymore. So my doctor told me, he says, okay, you can't do any more heavy lifting. I go, so what's heavy lifting? He goes, well, just anything that's strenuous. <laughs> okay, how do, that's real comforting. So I, when I go to the gym, all I do is I just put on light weight. So I use machines only. I don't use any free weights at all. So I'll go to the machine, and I'll look at what I used to put on there, and I go way up to the top. And, and, you know, and at first I'd go, and I'd look at it, and I'm like, am I even working out? But trust me, it still hurts. It's just you do more reps. But again, my point is that they have pins on it. It could say from 10 pounds to like uh, 200 pounds, right? And every machine I go to, I go up and some guy's been on the machine before me. So I go and I sit down at the machine and I pull the pin out. I mean, I tried this. I don't know. How many people, anybody in here have a gym membership, by the way? Raise your hand real high. You have a gym membership. Okay. I don't know about you. Okay. But in my pride, okay, I'm going to confess. Yes, I have pride. So I go back to the gym. So I'm working on the machine. So there's a kid. He's working out in front of me. And he gets up from the machine. So I sit down the machine. Well, I don't want to reach down and go like this and then move it up, you know, like to a lightweight, though I am a lightweight. Um, I try to do what he's doing. So I get on the machine and I go like this. It was, it was a bench press, but it was on a machine. I go like this. I go, Koom. it stops. I'm thinking it's broke. <laughs> and I go, I look down and I'm like, you know, this thing is broke. And I try, boom, it's not moving. So I go, well, let me try this. So I pull the pin out and I move it up about, you know, 60, 70 pounds lighter. All of a sudden, hey, I can do this. I couldn't do what he did. It, it reminded me as soon as I did it, it was like the Lord, work out your own, work out your own. I'm not doing somebody else's workout. You're not doing somebody else's workout. But in our pride, what do we do? I'll confess it. I go, I'm trying to do somebody else's workout. And what does it do? It just hurts. It hurts even worse as opposed to working within your limits. See, God hasn't called you to live somebody else's faith. And one of the problems that we have within our faith because of our pride is we're either, it's like all or nothing. It's like, oh, I got to do it just like so-and-so does it, or I'm not going to do it at all. And it's such, that's so sad. You were created, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, you were created a masterpiece from God, a masterpiece. You're his poema, his workmanship. Not to be like everybody else, but to be 100% completely you, allowing Christ, who's fashioned himself within you, to work in your life, to change you and to transform each and every one of us into the image of Christ. But God will meet you right where you're at. That's the beauty of it. And he will grow you and take you where he wants you to be. But if you're trying to do somebody else's workout plan, you're trying to, you know, follow what somebody else is doing, you go, it's a crash and burn situation. Ultimately, it's like I said, at the gym, you can hurt yourself physically and you can hurt yourself spiritually. I see it happen all the time. People go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing my devotionals like this because so-and-so does this like this. I tell people all the time, they, they come to me for marriage and family counseling. I'm going, listen, I'm not going to give you a book. That's why I'm, I'm writing a book currently because it's a book about not relying on everything else. I mean, it, it, and because it's so sad that you're reading a book that was written by a couple who have a great marriage, 
And you go, and so you're going, hey, maybe our marriage will be like theirs. And you go, your marriage wasn't supposed to be like theirs. Your marriage is supposed to be your marriage. Now, can a marriage improve you? Absolutely. It's as we follow Christ and as we're transformed into the image of Christ in our lives. But my, I'll tell this to every couple that that's, I've ever done premarital counseling with. I'll tell the guy, I go, you, you don't need a marriage manual. You've got one. It's right there in front of you. It's her. If you learn to read her, because trust me, women have their own language. Amen? All, all the men. All the men said amen. Yeah. And your job as a husband is to learn to read her language. And when you learn to read her language, guess what? Life will get so good. And it's not because like the coffee cup that says, happy wife, happy life. That, there can be a truth in that, but that's not the goal. There, there is a way for us to experience joy in this life. And that is to draw close to God. It's draw close to Jesus. And you can have joy in your marriage when you quit trying to make your marriage like everybody else's marriage and just enjoy the marriage that God's given you. The hobbies, the interests, the, you know, all the pluses, the minuses, you know, for better, for worse, all the things in between. And when people finally get freed up and their focus is on each other, like I was sharing, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it's a race to the bottom. Then you're looking for opportunity how you can serve just like Jesus did, because that's what we find in Philippians chapter two. So you work out your own salvation. Because what is the ultimate desire of God? John taught on this last week. God's ultimate desire is that you and I be holy. That, that's what he's working in our lives, to be. Be holy. A.W. Tozer put it like this. When a sculptor sees a piece of marble, he sees a piece of art within it that it is his job with hammer and chisel to bring out. I love that. What a great vision of what God's doing in our life. And then how he uses one another to accomplish that. God is working in my life and your life to bring us into the image of Christ. He's sculpting us. Our job is to what? Hold still, <laughs> obey, to cooperate. So let me ask you, as we prepare for communion today, what sin, what imperfection is in you that God's wanting to chisel away this morning? What is that that's marring your ability to be a true reflection of Christ. Those are great things to, to think about. And you know what? That sometimes that's hard to even answer by ourselves. And the last point I'd, I'd leave you with, whether it was working out at a gym, whether you're working out in your own personal faith, is you're never going to become what God wants you to be on your own. A marriage takes two in that regard. Two are better than one. Friendship takes two people. Ministry takes two. There's something dynamic, you know, that Jesus says, you know, that wherever two or three, you know, gather in my name. You know, he was dealing with the issue of forgiveness there in, in Matthew chapter 18, uh, coming to an agreement. You know, we know in a court of law, you know, the testimony is accepted by two or three witnesses. There, there's power. There's power when we come together. God's wanting us to cooperate. And that's what verse 13 really hones in on when you look at this. And we'll close with this. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, in, in weightlifting, I was telling you, it's a term, it's called a spotter. A spotter will make you stronger than if you went to the gym every single day by yourself and worked out as hard as you possibly could. That's why they created machines. Machines, in one sense, are spotters because the machine can protect you from hurting yourself. Free weights are, can be really dangerous. Um, don't even really recommend them for, if you're not training as a professional athlete, it's really, really a waste of time more than anything else. Um, machines were designed to protect the motion, range of motion. And they're, they're, they're built in spotters, meaning what, what I'm saying is that you can push the weight and if it's too much for you, you can drop it and it's not gonna hurt you or the machine. Well, a spotter was used in free weights and free weights, if you've ever pinched, picture somebody who's doing a bench press and they're laying on their back and they're taking a bar, you know, off of a, off of a bench and they drop it down to their chest. And you'd see a spotter would, a spotter can just put two fingers, literally a couple fingers underneath the bar and, and offer you some assistance. They're not lifting it for you, but they're helping you. And most of the time what they're doing is they're encouraging you. They're yelling at you. You see them, come on, come on, come on, come on. And people, why is he yelling at them? Well, it's, 
whatever. But you go, they're, they're not yelling at them in the sense they're, they're, they're cheering them on. They're encouraged, come on, you can get it, you can get it. And they're distracting them from what? The pain. Because they're going, it hurts, it hurts. I know it hurts, but lift, push, push, push. And then what happens? There's elation. There's the celebration that takes place. And Paul's going, you know, you have a trainer. You've got a spotter. Jude reminds us, there's one who can keep you from falling, right? And he can present you before the very throne of God. It's Jesus Christ himself. Is that don't go it alone. Don't try to live the Christian life on your own. I'll just read more. I'll pray more. I'll do more. I'll try more. And you go, huh. No, the beauty of, of communion today, church, is coming back to the cross. He took care of it all. But not going, okay, I don't have any responsibility. No, that's not what he said. God who works in you. God's planning something in you that he wants to get out. Don't hinder it. Don't stop it. Don't prevent it. But embrace it. And the things that are in us, the sin that's within us, the things that, that are tempting us to not become everything that God wants us to be, is we renounce those things. And, and we call them what they are. You know, I mean, unfortunately, I think we'd all agree, there's way too many pew potatoes in the church, in the body of Christ today. The majority of the work, and I'm not talking about Bible studies. Like I was telling Mike, I said, you know, next year when we do this, I said, we won't have a Bible study for a month. It's like, we've had, we have so many Bible studies in this church. We can be learning and learning and learning. You go, but if we're not putting it into application, what is the point of all this learning? Are we thinking that one day, just all of a sudden the light's going to come on? At some point, you know, you, you teach and then you do. You teach and then you do. Discipleship is watch one, do one, teach one. And we'd all be more effective if what? If we knew that what we were learning, we had to go to teach to somebody else and to put into practice. But a lot of times the reason we don't repeat what we're learning is because we're not practicing. There's an old expression, if it's not happening at home, then don't export it. And so what do we do? We need a trainer. Like I said, the, the word work there in verse 13, it's God, God works. Energon, it's where we get our English word energy. God wants to energize you today. He wants to energize you to accomplish what he has for you. When you, you find people that are suffering from depression and, all, and you go, and it does what? It sucks the life right out of you, right? But the word enthusiasm, like what is that word enthusiasm? It comes from two Greek words, in, E-N, in means to be in, our English word, theos, in God, in God. If your life is in God, he's going, you will become enthusiastic because all of a sudden you'll start to go, oh, like I've shared with you, you know, before, the two greatest days of your life, you know, one was when you were born into this world. The second is when you realize why you were born and you won't realize why you were born until you're born again. And so as we prepare to receive communion, I just want to invite you, if you've not received Christ as Savior and Lord, because this message was to believers. He's not talking to non-believers. You cannot work out what God is working in if you've never invited him in. Don't miss the opportunity. You want joy. You want enthusiasm in your life. You can, you'd be the first to admit, it doesn't come from this life. This life has, has the ability to suck that right out of you. And when the world is trying to suck it out of you, Jesus has the ability to replace it with himself. And he says, and, and no one, I mean, the security, the safety, all the things that we could ever want, he provides for us. It's like Paul would say later on, he'll go, I can do what? All things. Where? Who? Through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. It all begins and ends with Jesus. And that's really the goal you know, here today is focus your life, not on what you want to do or what I want to do or what anybody else wants to do. Is we, we fix our eyes upon Jesus. And when you do that and you make a commitment to that, all the other pieces will fall into place. That's what Paul's reminding us of today. It starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. And I just want to tell you, you know, at the end of the service, again, if you've never opened your heart to Christ, we'd love to to meet with you and just pray with you for a moment and give you this little booklet. Have some up here in the front. It'll help you take those first real important steps about getting involved and becoming active in a Bible study, getting with a group of people who can spot you and help you and encourage you and cheer for you. That's the beauty and the joy of the body of Christ. We're not here to hurt one another. We're here to help one another. 
And, and I love being part of a church that's committed to one another. And so thank you. Thank you. And so I'll invite the worship team as they come. Um, take this time. And as we receive communion, you're doing this on your own during this last uh, worship song uh, is to come up and uh, there's stations, you know, there's four around the, the sanctuary here. And then just enjoy just a sweet moment with the Lord, thanking him and praising him that it was his body broken for you. It was his blood that was shed for you on, on Calvary's cross. And like I said, the greatest, the greatest joy for you and for me today when we receive communion is you can't miss this, is when Jesus said, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, is that, you know, when you receive this and you take that cup and you eat that bread and you ingest that into your body, you couldn't separate yourself from that. It becomes part of you. And, and that's the reminder that Jesus is telling us today is that his life that was shed on Calvary's cross, his life that was given for us, provided us life, a life that can't be taken from us, a life that's so safe, so secure in him. And may you enjoy that today as we worship him. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for communion and pray, Lord, just as we prepare our hearts today, that God, you'd help us. Your word says that before we receive communion, to look at those things in our life that aren't pleasing to you. And we don't need someone else to tell us that as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, that God, we're not like some religions. We're not here today fearing if we're in Christ today, we're not fearing purgatory. We're not fearing hell. We've been saved from that. But Lord, what we're fearing is just simply not being pleasing to you. And so Lord, help us today to look at those things that might be in our heart and our life that aren't pleasing to you and to bring those things in an act of worship and lay them at your feet today and give them to you and allow you to take those and to set us free. Because that's, Lord, what you, you came to do. You came to set the captives free. And may we experience the freedom, or as the Apostle Paul, the joy that comes from knowing you. Lord, thank you for communion today. Thank you for loving us like you, you do. We bless you and we praise you as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.